That's some sensational catch. Absolutely brilliant from Hooper. Was hit back firmly by Maiello. Hammered down the ground. It could fly all the way for a maximum. It's gonna soar into the sky. That's the six they needed. That's 50 for Forbrush. What a knock that is from him. Outstanding striking. And that six brings Guernsey back into the game. Could be a catch. What a catch. One-handed grab. And that's Josh Butler, the captain. Oh my days, we have been treated to some catches in this tournament. Welcome to Under the Covers, Guernsey Cricket's very own podcast. I'm Ben Furbrush, Guernsey Cricket Development Manager, and on this podcast we will be chatting to players old and new, coaches, administrators and other cricketing keen beans along the way. On today's episode we catch up with Hampshire all-rounder and recent World Cup winner with England, Liam Dawson. So Liam Dawson, welcome to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast, thank you very much for coming on. Hi, not great to be here, looking forward to it. So if we can go right the way back to sort of early childhood, born 1st of March 1990 in Swindon, Wiltshire, uh, what are your early childhood memories of sort of sport and were you born into a sporting family? Um, yeah, obviously my dad played a lot of cricket. Um, he played for, for Go Taker in Wiltshire, which is where I grew up and where I sort of played all my cricket. Um, didn't really play much at school, um, sort of it was more sort of rugby and football. Um, so I didn't really play cricket there, but... I obviously went to watch my dad from a very young age, um, down at Goteca sort of every Saturday. Um, and we were always down there in the week in the summer as well. So that's how I, how I got into the game. Yeah, and then you said there you didn't really play at school at all? No, not really. I mean, we had the odd game. Um, so never really played at school, to be fair. Um, I was quite lucky, though, sort of when I, you know, from sort of eight, nine years old, I was always sort of at the cricket club or um, I joined Hampshire at a young age at 10. Um, so I always had cricket to to play in the summer so I wasn't really deprived of it from a from a school point of view. Yeah and then from Goteke you actually went and played for Chippenham uh, in the Western Premier Leagues. What age did you join them? Yeah I did I think I went there for probably two or three years. Um, played a lot of my well my good mate now James Vince um, I've sort of grown up with we played together a lot for maybe yeah two or three years at, at Chippenham. Um, Maybe a bit longer, I can't really remember. Um, but they were brilliant as well. So, sort of um, played a, lot, a bit of age group stuff there and, and then obviously started to play in the first team from about 15, 14, 15. Um, and it sort of stopped when I got to 15 because um, I was playing for Hampshire on a Saturday in the academy that we have in a league down here in the Southern Premier League. So it was a good good couple of years there. Um, obviously very thankful for them for, for playing there. But as I said, I probably learned most of my cricket though at Go-Taker. Yeah, and then you mentioned that you started with Hampshire at age 10. Was that just in age group cricket? Yeah, that's just age group cricket. I think Wiltshire didn't have an under 10s or under 11s team. So there was no, I, was, I, I couldn't really find much cricket apart from sort of um, just club cricket. So I managed to, to go down to Hampshire and impress down there from a young age. And, you know, I've been there ever since. Yeah, and then with Hampshire, you progressed through the age groups. Uh, was the academies in place then? So you went through the academy or was an academy not a thing? I know they only came in fairly uh, recently. Yeah, no, the academy was in. Um, I got in the academy when I was uh, 15. Um, and I spent, I think, maybe 14 or 15 hours on the academy. And I spent a couple of years on there and signed my first professional deal, which was really good. But that was that was a great experience. Um, obviously, I had Tony Middleton, who was the academy director. Um, put a lot of hard work in with me, but not only, well, not only me, but with a lot of us, it was James Vince, Danny Briggs, Chris Wood, um, Michael Bates, I probably missed a few, but they're, you know, they're the lads that sort of 
played a bit of professional cricket and some are still playing now. And obviously that academy, well, those academy days were very good for, for all of us um, with the amount that we did from a skills point of view and also from a, from a learning point of view too. Yeah, were you on the same intake as uh, local cricketer over here, Tim Ravenscroft? Um, I, I don't know if he was on at the same time as me. He might have came maybe a year or two after, but I definitely played some academy games with him um, on a Saturday. Um, I can't remember if he was actually on at the same time as I was. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too sure. Yeah, and then um, with, with that, you obviously progressed through to the, to the uh, Hampshire main side. Um, was that a case of earning your stripes in the second eleven, or was it a case of just going straight away into first-team cricket? No, I think I played a, a, a few second-team games and, and did pretty well and showed that I could play. Um, I think I didn't, I didn't really play properly until I made my debut in 2007, but it wasn't until 2008 I played sort of at the, maybe the last sort of couple of months of that season is where I sort of broke into the team on the back of, I said, yeah, some good second team performances. Um, but I've probably learned a lot of my cricket playing it, you know, at first team level, which is, which is pretty tough, but um, you grow up pretty quickly doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2006, you were selected for England under-19s, uh, tour to Malaysia. Uh, as a 16-year-old, this must have been a massive honour. Um, and you also took figures of six for nine versus Malaysia in a warm-up game. Uh, that must have been pretty special. Yeah, they weren't great, to be honest. So <laughs> I'm not sure I count it. Um, no, it was a good trip. I was obviously very young. Um, to be selected at such a young age was obviously, you know, back then you look back and it's a great effort. But I sort of, when I think about it now, it's it's pretty irrelevant um, because it, it doesn't, you know, it, you're not guaranteed to play professional cricket if you play under-19s for England or have a long career. So, I mean, at the time, it was a good stepping stone. Um, but it's not something... I look back now and I see lads coming through. It's not something where, you know, you're guaranteed to make out a career because, you know, the level's completely different um, from under-19 cricket to, to professional cricket. So, as I said, it's a good stepping stone and an honour at the time, but there's a hell of a lot more hard work to do um, when you when you actually break through into first-team cricket. Yeah, and then in 2007, uh, again with the England-19s, um, sort of at the, probably the same time you were playing second-team cricket, you finished the under-19 test series against Pakistan as leading wicket-taker. What are your memories of that series? Uh, it was hot, I think. That's what I remember at Scarborough. It was really hot. Um, uh, but it was a good series. I think they had Mohamed Amir um, that played for them. Uh, a couple of others as well that are, that are playing test cricket now. So, yeah, as, as I said, it was, it was a really good experience. I don't remember a huge amount, to be fair. Um, it's been a long time ago. Um, but I think what you always got with when you played under 19 cricket, that when you did play the Asian sides of like, you know, India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, they're always very, very tough to beat. Um, they seem a lot more physically stronger than what, what we probably were. And obviously from a talent wise as well, I think in those countries that you probably grow up at a young age, a lot quicker than what you do, um, you know, in, in our sort of countries and in Australia. Um, so they're always very tough series and they're always very hard to beat. Yeah. And then, 2007, back end of that season, you made your Hampshire debut. Um, again, sort of coming through the ages, uh, being a Hampshire from 10, that must have been a massive honour. Yeah, it was. It was brilliant. I think it was against Northampton in a, in a 40 or 50 over game. Um, I did did fairly well. I think got 30 um, and batted really nicely. So that was really good. Um, again, I don't I don't remember loads of the game or the feelings that I had. Um, I've played so much cricket now, I think, 
it's hard to remember yeah. some of the games all those years ago. So, um, but yeah, I sort of remember a couple of shots I played off Nicky Boye um, that sort of really pleased me, but I don't remember a hell of a lot from the game. I can't remember if we won or lost the game. Yeah, and then actually one you might remember is 2008, you scored your maiden first-class century against Nottinghamshire uh, at Trent Bridge, becoming the youngest player for the county to do so. Um, what are your memories of this day? Yeah. yeah, I remember that pretty well, to be fair, because I, I remember it was my first... I think it was my first TV game. Um, so it was on Sky. So I was obviously very excited about that. And um, I was also batting with a, well, there's a good friend now called Nick Pothas, um, who sort of at the time was a very experienced uh, senior player. Um, and, he, you know, he helped me in my career a hell of a lot um, up until he finished. So it was, that was obviously an honour to, to get my first hundred with him at the other end. And um, yeah, it was really good. It was end of the season as well. And um we actually won that game, which made it more special. Yeah, so you mentioned Nick Pothers there. He's actually been Guernsey coach. Um, he was Guernsey coach a few years back now for, for three years, and he's an unbelievable coach as well. I can imagine that he probably started doing some of that whilst he was still playing. Yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, he's probably one of the hardest workers as a player that I've seen. Um, you know, he's very fit, hell of a lot of training, um, was always in the nets, always catching balls, practicing his keeping. Um, he's just a a very, very hard worker. And I think he'd probably be the first to admit that he wasn't the most talented or the most prettiest player to watch. But, you know, more times than not, he got the job done um, for Hampshire or for whoever he played for. So I think he earned a lot of respect, um, well, especially in that, well, I think from around the county game, actually, about how much fight he's shown when he was when he was sort of batting or, you know, in the field when times were tough. Um, yeah, and he was, he was brilliant to play with and also brilliant to talk to about about cricket. Yeah, no, definitely. We've definitely experienced that over here. Um, also in then 2009, uh, Hampshire won the Friends Provenant Trophy. Uh, so the sort of one-day trophy, if you like. Uh, you played all 10 matches there, taking 10 wickets and averaging 24 with a bat. Uh, how was that? Yeah, I think I look back now and I was only 19. Um, and I think to, to play a Lord's Final at 19, um, was a very well. That was a very special occasion. In front, I think it was it was sold out Lords as well on a hot day. I think it was twenty five thousand people there. So it was a great day. It was great fun. Um, it was a good night when we won it as well. I think that was a, one of the big memories. How fun that was. Um, but also to play ten games in that campaign and and also contribute. I know you know twenty four is not a huge amount with the bat, but I was batting number seven and also take ten wickets is wasn't a bad effort for me in a. In a you know, from a 19-year-old, pretty new to the game. So, um, yeah, that was a very pleasing summer for me. Yeah, and then 2010, you actually fell out of favour in the county championship side. Um, was this just down to lack of opportunities or, or what did you put it down to? Uh, lack of form, I think. Lack of form, I think. I think you burst onto the scene and you sort of do well and then teams work you out. Um, you probably start complicating things as a player. You try and probably overthink things. Um, whereas you I think the older I've got, you don't need to do that. You just stick to what you've done and, and be mentally strong enough to, to, to back your own game. Um, so yeah, I think that happens with a lot of players that come into the game. You see it a lot now, cup first year or two, they do really well and they sort of fall out of favour for, you know, for a summer or two summers. Um, and then they, they sort of come back again and, and start performing again. So I certainly had that in my career. Probably wasn't the only time that I've had it. I've had it a few times. Um, but I bounce back, which is the main thing. 
Yeah, and then 2011, uh, you filled in for Michael Carberry opening the batting, uh, scoring two centuries. Was this a preferred position for you opening the batting, or do you not really mind where you bat? No, I didn't. I, I mean, I did it. I was young. I sort of, I just said, you know, I'd do it. Um, and actually, I had a pretty good season, I think, doing it. Um, I also got to think I probably wasn't bowling as much then, so um, sort of I was struggling with my bowling and technically and had a lot of work to do on that, and that was a case for probably two or three years um, in the four-day game. So my batting sort of took over, and yeah, you know, I did. You know, I did fairly well with that. Um, but I certainly, the older I've got, I certainly don't want to do it again. It's a, it's a <laughs> tough job to do, and uh, I'm happy doing what I do now. Yeah, and then 2000, uh, well, that winter, 2011-12, you actually went overseas and played in Zimbabwe. How did that opportunity come about? Because most people usually end up going to South Africa or New Zealand. Yeah, well, didn't actually, well, it went, I mean, I played one game and I got 100 and a few wickets, but I didn't actually came home after about two or three weeks. It was, didn't get looked after very well, to be yeah. fair. Um, so I wasn't prepared to sort of stay out there. And it's a decision that I'm glad I made. Um, a lot of people probably would have just rid it out and, Stayed there for a few more months, but it's not something I felt was going to help my cricket or um, anything like that. So I decided to come home. As I look back now and I don't regret it at all. Yeah. And then have you ever done a season in Australia or Slavka or anywhere else? Yeah, I've done a lot. I've done three, three in Australia. Right. No, three. Yeah, I think three in Australia I've done. Um, I actually went when I was really young, 16. Oh, right. Um, I sort of did three winters in a row. Um, so I've done quite a bit. And obviously, good times, good cricket at the time from it for for a young for a young lad, um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and then 2012 was again another new role for you, if you like. Uh, you started opening the bowling in T20s. Do you enjoy opening the bowling in T20s? Obviously, with a few more restrictions than when you bowl in the middle. Yeah, I don't mind it. Um, I think it's a time where you can get wickets. I think batsmen are obviously under pressure to to score runs. Um, I think as a bowler, you've got to accept the fact that if you bowl in, in a power play with any two fielders out, there's some days where you're going to go for runs. Um, I think that's part and parcel of the game now. Um, as long as you bowl, as long as you execute the balls that you want to bowl and you know, and you want to try and get hit where you want to get hit and if the batsman decide to, to play a good shot, then you know, fair play to them. There's nothing you can do about that. Um, so you've got to be pretty, you've got to stay pretty level in those times when you're bowling in power plays. But as I said, it's something that I... Enjoyed doing then, and I, you know when I do it now, I, I still don't mind doing it. Yeah, and then also that that sort of summer, you made headlines um, for dismissing Kevin Peterson. Uh, you got in for two Golden Ducks, once in a forty-over match, and once in a T Twenty match. Uh, do you sort of try and just eliminate who's at the other end and just bowl your ball, or because obviously he's quite well, a think, dominating figure? Yeah, I think probably then. Yes, I'd I'd probably more worried about who you're bowling against and who. Um, you know, you probably worry about more the player than what you actually do with what you're doing. Um, I think that's probably natural for any young player coming in into the game. But I think now it doesn't bother me who you bowl to. I think you, you know, you've got to back your skills. And I think that comes with experience. But certainly back then, I was probably standing at the top of my mark thinking, oh, that's Kevin Peterson there and panicking about that. But luckily I managed to get him out. And then 2013, you scored 1,000 first-class runs for the first time in a season. Um, was that just down to technical work that you'd worked out on your batting or did something else sort of click? No, not really. I think it's just just one of those seasons where sort of things go well for you. Um, I think I batted number three that season um, and I probably only got 100, but I got a lot of 50s. So that was a little bit frustrating. I didn't get more hundreds, but I was you know, probably our most consistent batsman. 
um, throughout that summer. So that was that was a yeah, it was a good summer for me, and I was obviously happy to get to get a thousand runs again. So I probably didn't bowl as much as as I should have done because I wasn't bowling well enough. Yeah, and then 2015, we spoke about sort of tough times before, probably the toughest stage of your career. Uh, you sort of fell out of favour at Hampshire, got loaned out to Essex. How did you sort of deal with that? Well, I think very well. Um, obviously, at the time, I was um, frustrated to be left out of the team. I'd actually started bowling well. Um, and for whatever reason, um, I wasn't really bowling much. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't prepared I was actually probably went the other way. I probably wasn't scoring many runs, but I was actually bowling really well. Um, but I think we had Danny Briggs in the team at the time. And I think Jimmy Adams was captain and, and Dale Benkinson was coach. And I just couldn't really get a ball. And that frustrated me. And then I got left out of a few games. I wasn't scoring any runs. And I basically didn't want to sit in the second team and, you know, and just sort of let my career sort of peter along um, because I felt that I was good enough to play first team cricket and I wanted to bowl. Um, and, me and Dale Benkinson probably didn't see eye to eye and I wasn't prepared just to stay at Hampshire and, and sit in the second team, like I said. So I was, well, thankfully to Essex, they took me on a month's loan and I probably only played two weeks there and then I did really well and Hampshire called me back. So um, obviously very thankful to Essex for, for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, then like you said, you, you, you sort of came back all guns blazing. Uh, you had an excellent 50-over campaign with both bat and ball uh, and then you actually ousted like you said there, fellow spinner, Danny Briggs from the county championship side. Um, that must have been unbelievable to sort of come back and, you know, prove that you were right for the team. Well, I think I've, I was just very frustrated that I was getting limited opportunities um, with the ball. Um, Briggs, I'm a very good friend of Dan's and we get on very well and he's a, he's a good bowler, but I still felt that the role I was doing in that team, I could have done exactly the same role. Um, obviously, Hampshire seen it a little bit different at the time. Um, but as I said, I, I went away, did well at Essex and I got called back and sort of I've never really looked back from there. Yeah, and then with that, if that wasn't memorable enough, uh, you also made your England debut in both T20 and 50 over formats. Um, what are your memories in the lead up to getting selected and then also playing in those games? Uh, so actually, I actually got selected on the England lines um, and we were in, went to Dubai for, we went for well, basically the whole one whole winter, sort of two and a half, three months. Um, we were there before Christmas and we went after Christmas to, I think it was five one days and then five T20s. Um, and Andy Flower was coach and I, he was absolutely brilliant for me. Um, I really enjoyed working with him. And I, luckily I had a really, really strong, well, two really strong um, 50 over and T20 uh, competitions out there, um, which led, led to me being selected for the, the T20 World Cup which was a huge honour. Um, you know, so I didn't play in that World Cup, but I've been around the group a long time. And then I think it was Sri Lanka at the Aegeus Bowl. I got selected. So I, was, I actually wasn't that nervous because I've been around the lads a lot in that previous winter with the World Cup. Um, and also being at my home ground as well. It was, a, it was a very, very good night. Take three wickets and yeah, it was good, special. Yeah, and then with that, you were unfortunately overlooked with both the Bangladesh and India tours. Um, the following winter, uh, you then you were then called up to replace Safar Ansari, uh, and you took your chance by scoring an unbeaten sixty six, batting at number eight. Um, that must have been a bit of a whirlwind time, sort of being left out, then being, you know, called up back onto the tour. I think it's actually a record as well for the highest score by a debutant batting at number eight. Okay, yeah, I, I, yeah, it was good. I was, I was in actually, I was 
actually playing uh, some franchise cricket in Bangladesh um, when I got the phone call to to tell me I have to I have to go to India. So I had to sort of jump on a plane the next morning and, and go straight to India, um, which I was very surprised with because I, I played no Red Bull cricket that winter at all. Um, I was basically all franchise T20 stuff. So mm. that shocked me and surprised me to go. Um, but I went and I probably did okay. I mean, I got 60. I was more so in the team for my bowling. Um, but yeah, it was obviously a good experience to play test cricket in India. And But it was hard work too. Very tough. Yeah, and another thing we have to mention is you're obviously part of the England World Cup winning side. Uh, how was that experience, you know, on home turf, England obviously winning the World Cup as well? Amazing. Again, I didn't, something I probably didn't expect it to get selected for. Um, I got left out of the, there was a series in the winter that I got left out of and also in the summer I got left left out of. And um, so the World Cup didn't even cross my mind. I wasn't even thinking about it and had a really strong 50 over campaign. Um and I, I remember we were playing a four-day game at, when were we playing? We were playing at the Isle of Wight against Nottinghamshire. And I sort of had a call from Ed Smith, Ed Smith on my phone. And I was thinking, well, that must mean I'm in because he wouldn't have called me otherwise. Um, and yeah, luckily I found out I was in and obviously very proud. And sort of when I look back at my 50-over campaign, I, I probably deserve to be in there as well. You're listening to Under the Covers, Guernsey's very own cricket podcast. We'll be back after the short break. Bold him! Beautiful bit of bowling! From William Peatfield, the stump comes crashing out the ground, and that's a big wicket here in Guernsey versus Denmark at the KG5. That's the first wicket. Letizia is the one who strikes. He gives it a big celebration. He writes it up in a book. He notes it down and sends them off. You can add Manpreet Singh to that list. That's the breakthrough Letizia needed. That's the breakthrough Guernsey needed, and that's the breakthrough that Mark Ladder to my left wants. A big smile on his face. And a wonderful shot there. Have a drive for four. Stokes already finding the boundary twice in this game. With that, if we could just delve a little bit deeper into the technical side of the game. Um, how does your sort of off-season training differ to sort of your in-season training? Um, I think the older I've got, um, well, it's difficult. I think for, for lads that are playing sort of, that go to play franchise cricket and all year round, you sort of, you stay in that mode of sort of, you know, you're used to playing all the time. So your training is a little bit, a little bit more relaxed sort of thing. Um, I think you do, if you play all summer and you go and travel the winter, play your franchise leagues, I think your training has got to, depending where you're going in the world, um, you've got to train to those specific conditions. And I think you do that when you get there in the first week or two of preparation in that country. Um, and when you've done that, it's more about just keeping yourself sort of mentally fresh and, and topped up because you're under enough pressure as it is playing. You know, you don't want to be overtrained and then going into games mentally tired. So for me, that's something that I what I look to do now. Um, I don't really overtrain anymore, um, and I sort of look to keep myself mentally fresh, and which I find helps me perform in in, in the games. And then in the winter, is it more? Facing bowlers or is it more machine work and more technical work for you now? Uh, well, if I'm not playing cricket, I mean, I don't, I personally don't like doing much up until sort of January, end of January time, because it's such a long winter. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the lads that just play county cricket, they'll start training back from November. So, I mean, for me, I, I struggle to do that. I think I like, I enjoy the scenarios of games and performing in games, whereas I think if I started to train in November, December time, I'd find that very, very difficult to keep 
mentally fresh come the season. Um, But for some lads, they find that helps them. But I think it's a completely individual thing. Then in relation to your sort of in-season training, is is that just keeping you ticking over, like you said? Yeah, again, I think it sort of varies a little bit. I think if we're, for instance, if we're coming up against a team that, you know, if a team has more name, more call in it, or someone who has a bit of pace or that you know that, can test you with a short ball. Um, I'd probably do 20 minutes, a couple of days out in the indoor school, with, you know, with some bounces and sort of short ball work to, to make sure I've sort of ticked that box. Or, you know, if we're going to go and play in Taunton, or for instance, we're going to play against uh, Simon Harmer, I sort of make sure I practice batting against off spin and, and putting some rough down or scuffing a pitch up, get some rough down. So I've sort of ticked that box mentally. But apart from that, um, that's sort of the only really thing that I would that I would do differently to my preparation from a batting side of things. And from a bowling side of things, I'd make sure that I've bowled to left and right-handers in the nets, making sure I've done that. Um, but also knowing who you're playing against and what sort of fields that you want to um, set out and what plans you want to do for, for each batsman, just so that box is ticked and you're not sort of a rabbit in the headlights when you're out there during the game because there's enough pressure on you. Is, is it tough then to go between the formats as well, or do you find that fairly seamless? Uh, I think it is, but I think it's something now, as a, you're just used to it as a cricketer. I think it's something now that you just do. Um, you just get on with it. I think it's a lot easier to go from um, red ball to white ball as opposed to going from white ball to red ball. I think it's uh, that's that's a lot more difficult. Um, but again, it's something that, again, it's each individual will find different things more difficult. I certainly find from going, if I have to go from bowling white ball into a red ball game, I find that a lot harder than going from the other way. Um, yeah. Just because in, in white ball cricket, you probably you tend to bowl a little bit shorter um, than what you do in red ball cricket, but that's where you've just got to try and bank on your experience to get you through those times. And um, when you do get the chance to train, just make sure you're doing it to 100% and you're not sort of there for hours. So you're not mentally fresh for the game. Yeah. And then in relation to actual lead up to matches, uh, is there anything that you do in particular, you know, sort of like the week out from the game and then what do you do sort of on actual match days? To be fair, I mean, the amount we play, we probably don't have a week where we're, you know, where we're not, we have a lead, we don't have a week lead up to a game. So we're always in games. Um, that's where it's tough, I think, in our domestic schedule that I think we, you'd play a four-day game, you'd have two days off, a travel day, and then you play the next day. So it's very, very hard to um, sort of keep, to, to, to change massively your preparation. I think you've just got to keep it very, very simple. And as I said, if you know that you're going to come up against someone with a bit of pace, make sure you do that work. Um, but apart from that, just keep it as simple as you can. And, and I think if you bat for a period of time in a, in a four-day game, that's more, that's better practice than going, to, going into the nets. Yeah, and then with regards to actual to batting mainly, uh, to facing spin and seam, is there something that you'd change or differ? Some people actually start a bit lower in their stance to spin. Is that something you do yourself? No, I don't, to be fair. Um, I I don't, I mean, my guard would change. Um, I think for, depends on who I face. If I'm facing an off spinner, I'll go across my stumps um, and sort of cover off stump from facing a left arm spinner. I'll stand on leg stump or, or middling leg. 
Um, but again, it all depends on the pitch, if it's spinning, if it's not spinning. Um, and for seam, I'd, I'd bat an off stump and I'd just back myself. Anything outside off stump, I know I can leave that um, if, it, if it's a good ball. And anything that's, you know, on the stumps and off stump, I know that I've got to play. Um, and I'm sort of backing myself to to not miss straight ones. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's sort of my game plan. Um, but yeah, that, that's it really. And then with regards to sort of switching off in between balls, uh, is there something you do to do this or are you just always sort of really switched on when you're out to bat? I, I really don't know. I don't. It's not something I've really ever thought of, to be fair. I think, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a, a question that people have asked me a few times, but it's not something that I'm really conscious of when I'm out there. I must do it. Some, I think sometimes I must do it, sometimes I must not. And I think... That probably makes what that probably makes, for instance, a Joe Root. Why he's so good because he probably has he probably has that ability to switch off and mentally relax. As, whereas some other players, you know, they might not have that ability to do that every ball and probably fatigue mentally fatigue quicker and make mistakes earlier. So it's probably something I can work on, but I I don't really know what I do if I'm honest. And then, and then we touched on it before. Have you got a preference as to? You know, would you at the moment lower down the order? Is that is that where you prefer to bat, sort of the middle order, or? I think my role now is perfect. You know, I'm general rounder, I'm coming in at number six, and obviously bowling as well. So that's ideal for me. Um, sort of, it's very good balance for the team as well. Um, so I'm obviously very very happy with the with the role I play now. And then, and then with regards to that, is is training actually quite tough because you know you've got to cover two disciplines, whereas. Guys can come in if you're a top order batter, just face a few balls, and then your sort of training's done in a way. Because on top of that, you've probably got fielding practice. Yes, yeah, I think I'm second slip as well. So I mean, it's it's a lot. It's certainly a lot of work to do. Um, I think that's why I'm 30 now, and I think that's where I'm. I've been very clever with my training in the last sort of couple of years. I don't. I certainly don't overtrain anymore. I probably I actually probably train less than what I used to train. Um, but. Saying that, I, I put a lot of hard work in from, you know, probably from 16 to the age of probably 26, 27, where I probably do too much. Um, but I just make sure I train smartly now. I make sure that I, I tick every box I can um, and I make sure I, I do everything I can in my preparation. Um, you know, it hasn't got to be an hour, it hasn't got to be two hours. As long as I do it 100% for, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, then I'm very happy with that and very comfortable going into a game. So I think being clever in my preparation certainly helped me. And then with regards to sort of fitness and strength, uh, is this something that you have to pay quite a lot of attention to as well or you always have done or something just comes quite natural? No, I, no, I haven't. I, it's not something that I... I think you've got to be fit, don't get me wrong, but I think you can get very... Um, you can get very carried away with all that side of the game. Um, you know... You have got to be fit, as I said, but I think your skills is what pays the bills, and that's something that I've always I've always believed in. Um, and I find that I'd rather be hours in the nets or hours bowling or something like that as opposed to doing a squat or something like that. I think the amount of gym that I do now is it's to keep me fit. I think um, and to sort of injury prevention is a lot of it. It's not about how much I lift or anything like that. And then when batting, is there any superstitions that you have? Something like left pad on no, no superstitions. No, nothing. Uh, nothing at all. No. And then uh, the game's obviously evolved quite a lot, probably from when you started to right now. 
um, particularly with the introduction of even T10 leagues. Uh, how did you sort of cater for that? Were, were you always sort of a one-day player more so? Uh, yeah, I'd probably I'd agree. Yeah, I think I would. I think my white ball cricket has always been fairly strong um, and um, I've probably had a lot more success in that than what I have in, in red ball cricket. But I think... Um, I think that's the same with a lot of young players coming through now. There's so much white ball cricket, I think. And also that's where the money's at. You know, there's so much money involved in the game now that white ball cricket, you can make a very, very good living, um, especially if you are a young player coming through. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's for me, my white ball cricket has always been strong um, and I've always enjoyed the sort of the hype of around games in the, and you're always thinking about what you can do. Whereas sometimes in red ball cricket, yeah you have that much time on your hands and you sort of can overthink and that can affect performance, which it certainly did for me from a young age. Yeah, and then in relation to kit, are you a bit of a kit badger or you just sort of pick up a bat and just go with it as it is? No, not at all. Um, I, obviously, I like to have a certain bat and a certain shape. But apart from that, I'm, yeah, I'm not bothered at all. I mean, it's, it's kit, isn't it? It's your work stuff. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's all it is. One thing that's really actually struck me is sort of how clear-minded you are in a way. Like a lot of players get carried away with kit, with uh, the, everything about the technical side of the game. It just seems that you have a really clear mind when you just go out to, to do your job, really. Well, I certainly do now. I mean, I, I probably didn't have a clear mind when I was a lot younger. Um, but definitely the last sort of two or three years, I've, I've realised that the more you sort of muddle your brain up, the more you think, you overthink it just it just doesn't help you at all um it really it, it definitely holds you back and that's probably something that has happened to me in my career i probably worried too much and overthought overthinking things and worrying about stuff that is just irrelevant whereas i look at my game now and i don't i don't worry about it and what will be will be and if i score runs if i take wickets then then so be it if i don't i'll go home and i'll go to my kids and it's not the end of the world is that sort of also how you switch off from the game, family time? and? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you come home, you sort of, you can't sulk if you've got no runs or no wickets. You've got to be a dad and, you know, and that's something that I think certainly helped me um, the last sort of couple of years, having kids and taking your mind away from the game. Um, but I think that's something that I'm not saying you need to have kids, but I'm saying to get away from the game and have a different hobby as a, as a young player is certainly something that I probably didn't have um, growing up, it was all cricket. Cricket was the be all and end all. Um, and I think when it gets to that case that you have nothing to look forward to when you finish playing cricket, or after a day, your mind just keeps ticking. You overthink things, and that actually affects your next day or your next performance, your next innings. Um, whereas now it, it doesn't affect me the next day. It's sort of that day's gone, and it's a new day, and you crack on with that. And then also something that's sort of built up over the years: social media. Uh, how have you dealt with sort of social media and, and how do you use it? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I look back at, I played, I think I played a couple of test matches in 2017 um, against uh, South Africa and I, I didn't do very well. And I think social media there and I probably listened, well, I probably looked at it too much and obviously you get abused on it, which is part of the game. Um, but I, I certainly let that affect me a little bit. Um, and that when I look back now, that probably annoys me. Um, because it's irrelevant what those people say, uh, but it certainly did probably take its toll on me a little bit. Um, whereas now it, it wouldn't bother me at all. I'm sort of older now, I've grown up. It, 
that wouldn't bother me at all. Um, but I can see how it does affect people because, you know, it's a, it can be a brutal world out there sometimes. Yeah, and then aside from cricket, a lot of players have investments in businesses and interests elsewhere. Do you have something the same? Or? Uh, well, we got a, we've we bought a couple of properties at the minute um, as investment. So hopefully, sort of going down the line, sort of can look at, look more into that sort of stuff. Um, but as I said, uh, obviously that's very early days. Hopefully, can can play for a few more years and um, and, then, and then see where we are at the end of it. Yeah, and that sort of leads me on to the, the next question. So last season didn't quite end the way you'd liked. You were actually stretched off uh, when batting. Um, one, what actually happened? And two, are you still sort of on the comeback from that injury? Yeah, it's a freak injury, really. I mean, I ruptured my Achilles. I went for um, a back foot a back foot shot and I went to run and I just heard a massive pop. And I thought, oh, this is not good. Um, and I couldn't put any weight on my foot. I sort of fell to the ground and... Yeah, I went for a scan um, and I found out that I'd, I'd fully ruptured my Achilles, which was an absolute shocker. Um, so that's, that was disappointing. But I said, now I'm sort of, what am I now? I'm five, five and a bit months into rehab and after the surgery. So sort of building up strength. I haven't, I haven't done any cricket yet or any running. So it's been a, it's been a sort of a long, long process at the minute. Um, hopefully I'll be fit for the start of the season on the, on the 8th of April. But I mean, that's still touch and go at the minute. So um, it all depends when I can start running in hopefully around a month's time or maybe a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, it's been a tough injury to take and sort of an injury that was a bit of a freakish injury. Um, when I spoke to the surgeon, he said there's a sort of no no reason that it happens. It's just a lot a lot of it is, is luck and sort of I was a bit unlucky for it to happen. So yeah, obviously gutted, but as I said, I'm a long way into my rehab now and sort of hopefully only a couple of months ago. Yeah, and then with regards to the future, uh, would you like to remain in cricket and go into coaching or is it not something you've really considered? Um, I'm not sure about coaching, to be fair. Um, yeah, it's not something I've really thought about. I've done some umpiring stuff, um, so that's certainly an option for me to go into umpiring. Um, but the older I get, the more I might, I might coaching might sort of interest me. But at the minute, um, probably not at the minute, probably more sort of the umpiring side of the game. Um, but we'll have to wait and see in maybe four or five years' time and see where I'm at. Yeah, and then just to finish, um, a few sort of quick-fire questions. Who's the quickest bowler that you faced? Quickest bowler I faced? Uh, I faced Shoaib Akhtar, I think, when I was 18 or 19, and he bowled, he bowled quick, so that was, that was tough. And then toughest bowler might not necessarily be the, the quickest, probably someone like Darren Stevens in April. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's up there, yeah. Toughest bowler. Um, I think Rashid Khan's up there. Obviously, in, in T20 cricket, he's, he's the best in the world and he's, he's very, very hard to face with the pace he bowls and his variations that he has. Um, so he, he'd be one of the toughest. And then favourite ground in the world? Favourite ground, good question. Um, Newlands is nice in Cape Town. Um, that's a, obviously a very nice ground. Trent Bridge in England, I think Trent Bridge is a really good ground and has a great atmosphere too. So that would be the, the two that I really enjoy. And then your sort of favourite memory in cricket or probably top three, uh, if it's sort of too hard to pinpoint one. Top three, I think. Well, I think winning of one, three trophies, three one-day finals with, with Hampshire, I think that's very, very special. And I've done it with two of my best mates, Chris Wooden and James Vince. We've all won 
three trophies together and we've all grown up together. So that was, that's certainly a, well, one, of the, one of the most special moments for me. Um, and I think being involved in a World Cup, obviously I didn't play, but to be involved in a World Cup in something that I never thought I'd do or be involved in, it was very, very uh, special. Um, and also I think just playing all three formats for England, I think not many people get to do that. And, you know, I've only played a little bit, but I've, I've managed to do that. So that's something that I'm very proud of. Yeah, so that's something you touch on there with Hampshire is that they do retain players very well. Is it something that players just sort of settle in down down in Hampshire and really enjoy their time there? So, you know, like you said, James Vince and Chris would have been there for, forever, really. Yeah, we've been, we've, I think we've all been there since basically the start. We've all grown up together from sort of 13, 14 years of age and I think we're all nearly 30 now. So it's been, yeah, it's been a special time. Um, and yeah, I think... Thing as well, I think you. I think if you perform over a number of years, you obviously the club they obviously want you to stay, and that's something that we've done as a as a group. Um, we we perform, so I think we deserve we deserve to be there for sure, and hopefully we we sort of we've got another you know few years left in us yet. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, just a last couple of questions. So, your best or favourite coach that you've worked with? Best or favourite coach? Well, I think the. Uh, the one who probably believed that I could, or made me believe that I was a sort of a good player was probably Andy Flower. I think to sort of, we had that line strip in, I think it was 2016 or 2015, 2016, to work with him who had been England coach for so many years and so successful. Um, I think just to speak to him and his knowledge of the game and how he sort of, well, he, he certainly made me believe that I was a good player and I sort of could succeed. And I think he'd be one of the, I only worked with him for maybe, a year, maybe three or four months, maybe a year, roughly, with the different series we had. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, he'd be, he'd certainly be up there. Um, I also think, yeah, I think he'd be that he's really good. I don't, I don't speak to him anymore. I don't, um, I didn't have loads to do with him, but at the time I did, I think he sort of made a big difference. And then you've probably answered this one, but your best mate in cricket? Best mate, it was probably a couple, probably, as I said, probably, you know, Vincey and Woody sort of growing up, we're all sort of ushers at each other's weddings. Um, so we've grown up together. Um, sort of, we've all got kids as well. So hopefully that's a sort of friendship that will sort of go on, you know, for, for a long time. And then the best player you've played with or against? That's a good question. Um, I think Hashim Mamla will be up there. Played, obviously played against him um, in those test matches. He played at Hampshire too. He was a freak. I think he made batting look so easy. Um, so he'd certainly be up there. And then just to finish, what's the best bit of advice that you've ever been given? Uh, and given your vast amount of experience in the game, what advice would you give to a youngster coming through now? Well, I think it was, I remember it was, again, it was Andy Flower said to me during that line series, he said, basically said that um, to stick, stick, stick to what you do and stick to your strengths because they're good enough. And I think that's such a, it's not a massive, you know, it's not a massive, it's not a cliche or really it's not, it's not a huge bit of advice. But to me, that was massive it's coming from, you know, a, you know, a legend of the game, especially of a coach for him to say that to me really did make me believe that what I did, you know, was good enough. Um, so that was massive. And then for me, I think it would be anyone growing up. I think, you know, it's, if you can have, sort of a hobby outside of the game, that would certainly make a difference. That would take a hell of a lot of pressure off you because um, you're not worrying about the game, you know, 24 hours a day. 
because it, as I said before, it, it definitely wears you down mentally. So it's brilliant to have other hobbies um, just to get yourself away from that pressure. And um, and that's that could be anything. I think that individual would have to find out for themselves what they enjoy. But I think I wish I had done that from a from a younger age than what I did. Um, and also, I think again, believe believe in yourself. Don't let don't don't let other people dictate how you want to play or how you want to um or just be you i think because that is good enough a lot of the time yeah no definitely uh, thank you very much for coming on we've really enjoyed you know, picking your brains no problem thank you for listening to the guernsey cricket podcast remember to hit the subscribe button and keep listening no.